our sufficiency is of God but, above all he excelled in prayer. The inwardness and weight of his spirit, the reverence and solemnity of his address and behavior, and the fewness and fullness of his words have often struck even strangers with admiration, as they used to reach others with consolation. The most awful, living, reverent frame I ever felt, or beheld, I must say, was his prayer. And truly it was a testimony. He knew, and lived nearer to the Lord, and other men, for they that know him most will see most reason, to approach him with reverence and fear. William Ben of George Fox The sweetest graces by a slight perversion may bear the bitterest fruit. The sun gives life, but sunstrokes are death. Preaching is to give life, it may kill. The preacher holds the keys, he may lock as well, as unlock. Preaching is God's great institution for the planting and maturing of spiritual life. When properly executed, its benefits are untold, when wrongly executed, no evil can exceed its damaging results. It is an easy matter to destroy the flock, if the shepherd be unwary, or the pasture be destroyed, easy to capture the citadel, if the watchman be asleep, or the food and water be poisoned. Invested with such gracious prerogatives, exposed to so great evils, involving so many grave responsibilities, it would be a parody on the shrewdness of the devil and a libel on his character and reputation if he did not bring his master influences to adulterate the preacher and the preaching. In face of all this, the exclamatory interrogatory of Paul, who is sufficient for these things, is never out of order. Paul says, Our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The true ministry is God-touched, God-enabled, and God-made. The Spirit of God is on the preacher in anointing power, the fruit of the Spirit is in his heart, the Spirit of God has vitalized the man, and the word, his preaching gives life, gives life, as the spring gives life, gives life, as the resurrection gives life, gives ardent life, as the summer gives ardent life, gives fruitful life, as the autumn gives fruitful life. The life-giving preacher is a man of God, whose heart is ever a thirst for God, whose soul is ever following hard after God, whose eye is single to God, and in whom by the power of God's Spirit the flesh and the world have been crucified, and his ministry is like the generous flood of a life-giving river. The preaching that kills is non-spiritual preaching. The ability of the preaching is not from God. Lower sources than God have given to it energy and stimulant, the spirit is not evident in the preacher, nor his preaching. Many kinds of forces may be projected and stimulated by preaching that kills, but they are not spiritual forces. They may resemble spiritual forces, but are only the shadow, the counterfeit, life they may seem to have, but the life is magnetized. The preaching that kills is the letter, shapely and orderly it may be, but it is the letter still, the dry, husky letter, the empty, bald shell, the letter may have the germ of life in it, but it has no breath of spring to evoke it. Winter seeds they are, as hard as the winter's soil, as icy as the winter's air, no thawing nor germinating by them. This letter preaching has the truth. But even divine truth has no life-giving energy alone. It must be energized by the Spirit, with all God's forces at its back. Truth unquickened by God's Spirit ends as much, as, or more, than, error. It may be the truth without admixture but without the spirit its shade and touch are deadly, its truth error, its light darkness. The letter preaching is unctionless, neither mellowed nor oiled by the spirit. There may be tears, but tears cannot run God's machinery, tears may be but summer's breath, on a snow-covered iceberg, nothing, but surface lush. 
feelings and earnestness there may be, but it is the emotion of the actor, and the earnestness of the attorney. The preacher may feel from the kindling of his own sparks, be eloquent over his own exegesis, earnest in delivering the product of his own brain, the professor may usurp the place, and imitate the fire of the apostle, brains, and nerves may serve the place, and feign the work of God's spirit, and by these forces the letter may glow, and sparkle like an illumined text, but the glow and sparkle will be as barren of life, as the field sown with pearls. The death-dealing element lies back of the words, back of the sermon, back of the occasion, back of the manner, back of the action. The great hindrance is in the preacher himself. He has not in himself the mighty life-creating forces. There may be no discount on his orthodoxy, honesty, cleanness, or earnestness, but somehow the man, the inner man, in its secret places has never broken down and surrendered to God. His inner life is not a great highway for the transmission of God's message, God's power. Somehow self and not God's rules in the holy of holiest. Somewhere, all unconscious to himself, some spiritual non-conductor has touched his inner being, and the divine current has been arrested. His inner being has never felt its thorough spiritual bankruptcy, its utter powerlessness, he has never learned to cry out with an ineffable cry of self-despair and self-helplessness, till God's power and God's fire comes in, and fills, purifies, empowers. Self-esteem, self-ability in some pernicious shape has defamed and violated the temple which should be held sacred for God. Life-giving preaching costs the preacher much, death to self, crucifixion to the world, the travail of his own soul. Crucified preaching only can give life. Crucified preaching can come only from a crucified man, 